Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Jake, guess what? We have lines. Uh, yes, we do. I, I mean, I've been to Meyer. I've been to Kroger lately at the store. <laughs> it's a zoo lately. Last time I was there. Uh, also, have you seen those COVID testing lines? No. District lines, Ah, mm -hmm. you know, those things that determine where you will vote and in a lot of ways what party will get the majority in the state, House and Senate and what lawmakers we will send to Congress, those lines. Yeah, okay, I got it. And, it, you know, it has been a really long road to get to this point where we have these new maps. It's a story that we've been following very closely here on Mishmash. So now we have these maps after years of a ballot campaign, lawsuits, hours upon hours of public meetings, and now we're figuring out what it all means. And the reactions to this are, forgive the pun, all over the map. (laughs) That's even true on the redistricting commission itself. Some commissioners, such as Detroit Independent Anthony Ede, says he can't think of how the maps could have been better under the circumstances. I mean, we're not choosing elections here. Let's make that clear. You know, we're trying to produce a fair map that allows candidates to run and get elected for office. And I think we did that. But others, including Commission Chair Rebecca Zatella, who is an independent from Canton, are actually pretty critical of the congressional and especially the state Senate maps, saying they didn't do enough to accommodate minority populations, especially in southeast Michigan. I was one of the primary map drawers, and so I feel like I have a deep understanding of the maps and where we could have improved them. And I definitely think there are things that could have been improved upon if we had more time. And this week we saw what we all knew was coming, which is the first major lawsuit seeking to throw out the maps in court, which is based on those same concerns about minority representation in these districts. A group of current and former lawmakers, as well as some political activists, say the maps violate the Voting Rights Act by diluting minority populations. They say the VRA required the commission to draw more so-called majority-minority districts, which would all but guarantee that candidates representing marginalized groups would win seats. But there are supporters of the maps, including folks like Commissioner Ede, who counter that they think these would actually create more opportunities for black and brown candidates to win seats by essentially spreading out that representation over a larger number of districts. Now, we, we won't know exactly who's right until we actually start holding elections under these maps. But the court battles are sure to be pretty huge, pretty epic, if you will. (laughs) Finally, we can't talk about this without talking about some political implications. These maps give Democrats a real opportunity to possibly win control of one or both of the state legislative chambers in Lansing for the first time since the early 1980s. And it would also mean some big shakeups for incumbents who are now going to be moving or running against each other in the same districts, such as Democratic members of Congress and Andy Levin and Haley Stevens. So hold on to your hats, everyone. 2022 has barely begun and Michigan politics is already in uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. I see what you did there, like <laughs> maps and whatnot. Very nice. It's going to be another year filled with pun, Shana. Uh, 
lucky us. <laughs> Earlier, you heard redistricting commissioners Anthony Ede and Rebecca Zatellas talking about the new maps. They were talking on WDET's Detroit Today with Stephen Henderson. Yeah, that's right. And because we're always in the business of providing as much context as possible, we thought we'd play some of that really informative interview here. You can always hear the full conversation on the Detroit Today podcast or by going to WDET.org. But for right now, here's some of Stephen Henderson's conversation this week with two independent members of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, Rebecca Zatella and Anthony Ede. So I I am really excited to talk with both of you about uh, all of the work that you did last year. But I want to say up front that we owe you a, a debt of gratitude as citizens, as fellow citizens here in Michigan for all of that work. When the maps dropped on uh, December 28th of 2021, uh, I, I, I took a second just to, to sort of marvel at how far we had come uh, in a fairly tight uh, window of time from where we were. And, and the difference in these maps, I think, really does reflect how thoughtful and how diligent the commission was in its work last year. So uh, a a huge thanks, I think, uh, to you up front. But I do want to start with getting each of your overall feelings about the process that was used last year and the final products of that work now that you've taken what you hope will be your final votes. Uh, Rebecca, I'll start with you. Yeah, so um, I think the process is is interesting for everyone to follow because this is the first time we've had a transparent process where citizens can watch maps being drawn, can offer feedback on maps, can offer their own maps for us to consider as well, which we looked at hundreds of maps. Um, And so I think it's been a really novel process. I think it worked well in terms of our ability to engage with the public and to receive all sorts of feedback and comments. Um, You know, I think the biggest constraint that we had, and I I don't anticipate this happening to any other future commission, is just time. I mean, we had this happen in the middle of a pandemic, which um, delayed the census, which also delayed our receiving data. And so that put us under a huge time crunch. But despite that, as, as a group, we put in, you know, Herculean hours some weeks <laughs> to get stuff done. If that meant we were having 10 hour meetings back to back day after day, and then also traveling throughout the state as well to talk to people. I mean, we went all the way up to Marquette. We were in Grand Rapids more than once. We went to Warren, Novi, Detroit several times. And, um, you know, we did all that in the middle of a pandemic so that we could reach out to the public and hear from the public. So I think it's a good process. I think it's a great process. I think it had its challenges because we were sort of building the plane as we were flying it and figuring things out. But I think overall, we came up with a significantly improved result over prior maps. And I hope the public is happy with what we did. Hmm. Anthony, uh, what was your sense of how this all went and with what you guys ended up with? Well, I think it went about as well as anyone could have hoped, uh, given the challenges that we were under. Uh, Like my colleague, Commissioner Zatella, said, you know, there really was a little bit of a time crunch due to the census delay, and having that time uh, would have been nice. Uh, You know, there were other challenges, too, coming from starting this process in the pandemic. I mean, uh, for the first about six or seven months, we were all meeting on Zoom, um, 
you know, which I think we're all used to by now, but, uh, you know, you don't build rapport as easily on Zoom as, as you do in person. And it was, it was really nice when we uh, could start meeting in person uh, to get our work done. Um, but, you know, it really was a, a, an exercise in this huge experiment in democracy and on what can be achieved, uh, you know, if you take a step back sometimes and let regular everyday folk, uh, you know, participate in this democratic process. Hmm. So I, I want to say up front that there has been acknowledgement, uh, even from some members of the commission, that, of course, these maps are not perfect. First, because nothing is, uh, but second, because uh, uh, this is this process requires you to think about lots of different issues and inputs all at the same time and to balance them. And there is no way to balance them all in a way that everyone would be satisfied. Uh, at, at the same time, I think it is worth sitting and looking at the map and thinking about which issues got priority and which considerations got priority and which were uh, were less important overall i mean there were a number of criteria that the uh, commission had to had to think about um so i want to start with with how satisfied each of you is with the maps uh and what some of the ways are that you might be disappointed in the way they turned out. Uh, Anthony, I'll start with you this time. Well, I'm actually very happy. Um, I think we have a set of three extremely fair, extremely representative maps that follow uh, our criteria under the Michigan Constitution uh, as much as we can. Um, uh, you know, I, I really think all, all three are quite good, uh, you know, for different reasons. Um, but, but I mean, I, I'm very satisfied and I'm very pleased that we were able to collaborate and pick maps that we all collaborated on together. So, so Anthony, before I go back to Rebecca, do you feel comfortable talking about the things in these maps that perhaps you wish were different or better? You know, it's hard to say what what could be different because there's a little bit of an art to redistricting. If you change one district, it creates a cascade effect where you have to change every district. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, some pe- people don't usually, uh, uh, sometimes people don't understand the, the, the art of it, right? It's, if you change one thing here, you, you have to change things everywhere. And sometimes that's not feasible because if you, you drew one district for any particular reason, you want to have that district uh, stay in place. Um, so I can't think of any at the top of my head. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I think that's a really important consideration for people to understand, too, that essentially it's like a it's kind of like a game of Jenga, I guess, where, uh, you know, you're stacking these blocks to create a, a structure that that achieves, um, you know, one goal. 
but also has to depend on achieving lots of little goals along the way. And if you, you know, you pull the wrong thing out, the whole thing kind of collapses. It's all, it's all interwoven and it's all dependent on, on the other parts of the, uh, of the maps. Uh, Commissioner Zatella, you didn't vote in favor of the congressional map. So I know that there are, are things that you think could have been better, at least about that one. But, but I want to give you a chance to talk uh, overall about these maps being imperfect and how satisfied you are with uh, the final products. Yeah, um, so I, I guess I take a more critical eye than Commissioner Ede, and I know than, than many of my fellow commissioners. And again, I think part of my criticism comes from the function of time, and I wish we had had more time to make things better because, you know, as Commissioner Clark said in our press conference last week that I was the, one of the primary map drawers. And so I feel like I have a deep understanding of the maps and where we could have improved them. And I definitely think there are things that could have been improved upon if we had more time. Um, so that's a concern with respect to the congressional. I mean, I did state that I felt that both the Birch and honestly the Apple were preferable to how they treated Metro Detroit because you know, we have multiple communities of interest that we were trying to accommodate in those maps. And I felt that the Birch did a better job of both accommodating the African-American community and then also accommodating the Jewish community, accommodating the Asian community, accommodating the Bengali community, the Arabic community. And, you know, I felt that that did a better job of putting all of those communities of interest together in the way that they had asked for. And so to me, that map would have been preferable. Hmm. That being said, you know, I respect the decision of my fellow commissioners that the chestnut is the one they wanted to go with. Um, and so that's what we have adopted. And again, I feel like it's a thousand times better than anything we've had in the past. So, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that one. I, I do lose sleep over the Senate map and I express my concerns about that during the meeting. Um, and the, and my concern really comes from an absence of data. And one of the things we heard in particular when we were in Detroit was the concern that we were looking at general election data and using that to determine what the percentages were that we needed as sort of a range to create opportunity districts for African-American individuals living in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And much of the criticism we received is that you can't just look at the general election, you have to look at the primaries. And so the problem with that is there's just an absence of data on the primaries because of we were looking outside of Wayne County to draw these districts. And so there, the data is absence. And some of the data that we had, I think, was a little concerning on that point. But there was just an absence of data to definitively say, yes, these targets that we aimed within were going to be able to support African-American individuals having the ability to elect candidates of choice. So mm -hmm. it was something I mentioned in the meeting before we voted on it. It's something I still have a concern about. And really, it just comes to it wasn't an absence of good faith on our part. We worked with the data that we had to come up with we think was the best solution. Um, but I just have a lack of comfort with that absence of data because I really would want to see that before saying with confidence, yes, this is the right map. Hmm. So, so we should pause at least briefly to catch listeners up a little bit on some of the terminology you're using there. Uh, birch and apple and chestnut are names of the different draft maps that uh, that uh, you you guys uh, put together, and and they each represent a different approach to 
balancing all of these considerations. Is that a, is that a fair characterization, Rebecca? Rebecca? Yes, that is a fair consideration. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Characterization. Um, so so I, 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 I want to talk a, a lot more about some of the, the issues that you raised there, uh, and in particular, this question of how you how you draw maps that provide sufficient opportunity for African Americans and other um, other ethnic uh, groups or other designations to be able to have the say that they should uh, in, in in the process. Um, this question of majority districts where uh, there's almost no question that an African American would be elected from, you know, uh, from a particular uh, place because you've got 50% or more African Americans um, in that in that jurisdiction versus this 40% number, which I believe is the median uh, percentage nationwide for districts represented by African Americans. I, I would love to have both of you talk about how these maps take that into consideration and, and again, how you might have, have done it differently. Rebecca, you were just talking about your real concerns, especially on the state Senate map, about how that was handled. If you could give us a little more about how the commission sorted through that and how it came to the final decisions that, that we see, uh, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, so um, in order for us to comply with the Voting Rights Act, we have to conduct an analysis of is there racially polarized voting? And so we did do that analysis. We hired an expert and the expert did the analysis. And based on her report, this was Dr. Lisa Hanley, um, she found that for the general elections in Michigan, in Wayne County in particular, that if a district has 35%, what we call BVAP, which is black voting age population, that that is sufficient of a percentage in order for a candidate or in order for in, be individuals to elect their candidate of choice. Um, so in Wayne County, the percentage was 35%. In Oakland County, it was closer to 40%. And then as you moved to Genesee and uh, Saginaw, we had different analysis for different areas. And so using that analysis was what we used to draft the actual maps. And so we were aiming for sort of a range. It wasn't a fixed number. It was a range of 35% or slightly higher in Wayne County, 40% or higher in Oakland County. And those were kind of the targets we were working with. Um, but again, the, the issue that we heard in Detroit is that that was looking at general elections. And the reason why this comes into play is that in many areas where you have a very concentrated lean of voters, one party or another, so if you're in the Upper Peninsula and it leans Republicans 60 70%, the primary is really where your ability to elect is at because mm -hmm. whoever wins the primary is going to win the seat. And so that's what we were hearing from the voters in Detroit, that just looking at the general election isn't enough, that you have to look at the primaries and see what percentages in the primaries impact the ability to, to choose that candidate of choice. And the problem with that is the data is just lacking um, because there isn't a lot of primary data and there isn't primary data outside of Wayne County that you can sort of compare to what's in Wayne County. And so the concern was raised, but there just isn't data to address it. And so we proceeded with um, the general election data to use that as our framework um, you know, but I still think the concern that was raised was legitimate. It's just, unfortunately, 
we didn't have a way to dig into it deeper because there's just an absence of data. So I think we did the best with the information that we had and particularly the time constraints we had. Um, But, you know, time will tell whether, whether we actually did it. So, so yesterday on the show, we talked with Keith Williams, who's the chair of the Michigan democratic uh, party black caucus. And he says that the way he reads the VRA there is a requirement to re- to create a certain number of majority minority districts that 50 is the number that is key i i wonder rebecca i mean you're you're, you're an attorney as well uh, I, I wonder if you read that the same way so i rely on our expert on opinions on that and that was bruce adelson and um, his opinion that he gave to us and which is reflected in memos that he gave to us as well is that um, we aren't required to have like 50%. Like, you know, a lot of people were saying minority majority means 50%. And Mr. Adelson disagreed with that advice and said that it's not consistent with the case law. Um, I have no reason to discount his opinion on that. So I tend to agree with him. Um, You know, the question is, is the 35, 40% that we um, used based on the data that we collected from the general elections, is that a minority majority district? And I believe based on Mr. Adelson's interpretation, it is. So, mm-hmm. uh, Anthony, Ede, I, I'd love to have you jump in here and talk about the way in which you were thinking about this balance that has to be struck between, you know, drawing communities of interest together, but also considering opportunity districts for African-Americans, especially in places like Southeast Michigan, where you have um, the the largest majority black city uh, in the state. Well, you know, another interesting thing that that analysis found was that in the previous maps, uh, especially the house maps along eight mile uh, that were enacted in 2010, 2011, those districts had uh, BVAP numbers approaching 90%. Uh, now, because of that, an argument can be made that because the number is so high, mm-hmm. it actually precludes the community from having more of a voice. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's what our maps attempted to undo by spreading the vote out among a greater number of districts. It creates opportunity districts that create the opportunity for more minorities to get elected. Um, and that's the route that we took based on the analysis. An analysis which, by the way, you know, for those listening, is available on our website. Um, and, and, you know, I hope is read because I think it's a rather well-done analysis. Um, is it perfect? No. Uh, primary data, yes, it would have been useful, but... You know, we have to make decisions based on data that that we have, mm-hmm. and that's what the data showed. Yeah. Um, as far as communities of interest go, you know, I, I don't think those are always mutually exclusive. I think sometimes they go hand in hand. We have plenty of districts in our map. In fact, I think almost all of them do support both communities of interest and the other criteria that we must follow. 
Anthony Ede and Rebecca Zatella are both independent members of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission from Detroit and Canton, respectively. They spoke with Stephen Henderson on WDET's Detroit Today, and you can hear that full conversation, including a lot more from Ede and Zatella, by going to the Detroit Today podcast, wherever podcasts are available, wherever you're getting mishmash, you can get Detroit Today as well, or you can go to WDET.org. And that's it for Mishmash this week. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening.